0: Good morning. Let's bow together in prayer as we start our Sunday School. God, we're so grateful for your many mercies to us. We're grateful for uh, the, the kindness that you showed to us in our salvation, especially. And we're thankful for the Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. God, you have given us your word so that we may know you and that we may uh, follow after you. And we pray, oh God, that you would bless us as we give attention to that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Been enjoying our Sunday school class on Devoted to God's Church, thinking about the nature and uh, and function and mission of the church, wanting to be growing in grace. That's uh, our theme for this year. We want to to be remembering that as we give a lot of attention to the renovation of a building, that we are also wanting to emphasize the renovation of our hearts. We're we're wanting to be growing as a people of God, as the church. I've been uh, quoting Sinclair Ferguson, this little phrase that is very tweetable, that has caught my attention, that believing implies belonging. Belonging. And so I'll call your attention to that again today. Believing implies belonging. And so all of the things that we've been talking about have have had to do about the aspects of our faith that is expressed in the togetherness of the people of God in the church. Today, this is lesson number five, I'm going to talk about the centrality of God's word. By way of introduction, I want to read a quote from A book titled, What is a Reformed Church? The author of this chapter is Michael Brown. And in talking about, um, about that centrality of God's word, he says that God compares hearing to eating. Just as the body needs nourishment from food, so also the soul needs nourishment from Christ, the bread of life, whom we receive in word and sacrament. Feeding the sheep, therefore, is the chief part of Peter's exhortation to pastors in local churches. The church, then, is the place where the sheep go to eat. I like that. that, Doesn't that capture your attention well, That, that we need food, we need to be nourished? and God does that through the word and sacrament. And the church has a very vital role in accomplishing that. Here are some passages that will will underline that and maybe whet your appetite, so to speak, for the rest of the lesson today. So I have three passages here. Would someone look up John 2115 through seventeen? Mark, Isaiah fifty five one through three. Rachel. And Jeremiah 3, 15. Uh, Melody, thanks. We'll start with John 21, 15 through 17. So I hope you recognize that very poignant passage of Jesus addressing Peter and a sense of restoration that's happening there, but also Jesus uh, directing Peter as to the ministry that was going to continue on after Jesus' ascension, uh, uh, resurrection, and then uh, anticipating his ascension. So he's orienting Peter to the task that was ahead of him, to feed his sheep, and uh, that uh, you know, I, I hope you know that that's not talking about fellowship lunch. <laughs> uh, although fellowship lunch we love and we're really glad for that, uh, this has a spiritual significance. It has the idea of of teaching and training and nurturing the church. About Isaiah fifty-five one through three. you catch the connection again between the word that nurtures us and the idea of feeding, and I like this passage for the, uh, the very warm uh, invitation to come and to find satisfaction for your souls, and to find it in the context of the ministry of the word. Uh, a melody, Jeremiah three fifteen. And I will give
1: you shelter.
0: So that one is pretty straightforward. The word of God himself giving uh, us shepherds that would feed us. So uh, in comparing hearing to eating, we find that the, the church is the place where the sheep go to eat. There are lots of applications of this. I'm going to narrow it down to two today, aspects of preaching and teaching or training. So you see the headings on on the outline I've handed out, number one, preaching, and number two, teaching and training, and really they, they they can be expanded even more. But for the purpose of really wanting to give an overview of the the role of the church and and the way God's word plays a role in that, I want to to speak about these two areas. And in preaching, I I want you to think about the Experience uh, of preaching as I, I tell you some of the things that motivate us, and how that gets worked out in the preaching ministry of the church. So, in a sense, I'm uh, I, we're going to lift the hood of the car a little bit, and and hopefully help you to understand what's happening in the preaching, so that so you can take that to heart. I'll also call attention to Alan Knowles uh, not his current class on lamentations but his previous class on the importance of hearing and applying God's word and uh, you can uh, really he really develops that well and so uh, so my effort is going to build on that a little bit and and I do so by uh, by calling attention to the uh, our larger catechism which I have printed here on your outline. Uh, One thing that you'll note that uh, uh, how much scripture is sprinkled into this. So it is a catechism, but a catechism is a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. So there again is the fundamental thrust of, of the centrality of God's word coming to play. What we believe about preaching comes from God's word we're not going to read all the scriptures here but it's something that you can take and and read some more about I've uh, selected a few here to underline what it says I'll read it out loud the spirit of God maketh the reading but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of enlightening uh, so uh, just to pause there I'm, uh, I'm I'm emphasizing here the preaching of the word uh, It goes on for, it talks about for enlightening, convincing and humbling sinners of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptation and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. really a a thorough uh, uh, detailed aspect of what we're wanting to experience as we uh, as we hear the preaching of God's word and the reading of God's word is effective and has many blessings and uh and that's one reason why we read so much of Scripture, why we sing so much of Scripture. But the preaching has a special part in God's providence and in God's purpose. And here are some passages that will help us to understand that. Someone read 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25, Henry. Uh, 2 Chronicles 34, and there's several verses there to read. Rachel, and then Romans ten seventeen. Mark, good. So let's start with 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25.
1: But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God to
0: report that God is truly among you. so this has the uh, has an emphasis on the converting aspect of the Word of God as it is read and preached. It has in mind the 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 public proclamation that uh, that comes in gospel preaching, a, a proclamation in a sense from a king to uh, to his people the church but it goes beyond that there's a proclamation that declares the necessity of salvation because of our sinfulness and because of a holy god and it comes with that sense of authority and authority that that declares the the sense of of uh, of necessity and Really, almost a sense of, of battle that is taking place. That the, the the Prince of Peace has come to invite sinners, to command sinners, to repent and to be saved. And the, this passage in First Corinthians is one that lays that out in a in a very clear fashion. And uh, and God's particular Desire to use the public worship and the public proclamation of that gospel for an evangelistic purpose. Uh, now at, at certain points in our uh, society the the sense of of the raging battle becomes more and more clear and it, it is especially true these days where there's there are so many Individuals that are questioning what is truth or that's your truth. Don't impose your truth on my body. Uh, Those types of of phrases are being used. Uh, That's the language of battle. It's the language of of contest of ideas that is taking place. And in the preaching of the word, there's a proclamation that is taking place. Uh, God's word is is described as a as a sword that pierces our our hearts that uh, divides the the joint and bone and marrow uh, so that we know what the truth is. Uh, how about uh, Second Chronicles thirty four and the several verses there. Henry's passage was about the conversion of sinners. Rachel's was about the, um, the comfort that's given to the people of God. And in this case, King Hezekiah, who was a believer who received God's word, who humbled himself before that and, and finds great comfort in it. And uh, Romans 10, 17. So faith The larger context is especially about the, the proclamation about the preaching of the word. So remember that we believe that the reading of God's word is effective, but this passage uh, underlines the, the public nature, the, the gathered nature of the church to proclaim these things. And it says that, uh, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You might remember the progression. How will they, uh, how will they believe unless they're told? How will they be told? Unless someone is sent and blessed is the one who, who comes with the, uh, the gospel of peace. So in the context of this idea of believing and belonging, uh, you should re- recognize that, that as the people of God come together, we come together to worship the Lord. Remember that that was the previous lesson that I, I gave to you. And the worship centers around who God is and is, is shaped by our coming into his presence. And that shaping comes by uh, by the reading and preaching of his word. In fact, I would argue that, uh, that worship that does not have the word of God, worship that does does not center around Christ, really becomes man-centered and becomes an exercise of, of self-expression or of talking about the things that, that, that we love or that we think are, are special and we go to worship looking for that connection in a, in a, uh, in a very self-centered or man-centered way and the food becomes bland and watered down. Instead of proclaiming Christ, the service proclaims your best life now. It uh, is improved through self-help or positive thinking or degenerates down into moralisms. To find traction and weight, the service might appeal to only to your emotions, and may try to manipulate those through external means. So, with this in mind, again thinking of taking, uh, lifting the hood, and seeing what's underneath, our purpose and our uh, the the way we have have crafted our worship service is oriented around the Word of God. We come into God's presence at His call. In your order of worship, you'll see that that's the very first thing that's listed there is a call to worship, which is scripture. It's God says this. God says, come into my presence with thanksgiving, or a a verse that's related to that. It's It's by the word of God that we come into his presence. And then in the dialogue of worship, we want to be hearing God speak. And that comes as well through God's word. So we read it, and we sing it, and we preach it. Of preaching then, I want to give you three, uh, three aspects of, of preaching that are descriptive of, of our approach to the centrality of God's word in this proclamation. And the first word is expository, that can be defined as uh, giving an exposition or a a, a leading out from the text its meaning. It has in mind uh, the reading, the explaining, the application of God's word. Because of that, it uh, typically leads to a general pattern for me as I preach in the area of of preaching sequentially through a book of the Bible, rather than uh, than a topical approach to preaching. Now, I do preach topically. I, I, I often do that. It's not. Uh, I hope you're not unaware that I, I take up those topics from time to time. Uh, that includes, uh, I preach on the incarnation at Christmas time and the resurrection around Easter. Uh, there are other things that move us to think about, uh, think about certain things that are happening in the world. Uh, there are times when there are, are distressing moments that will set aside what I'm normally preaching through and take up a topic. But even that topic is, is, is usually framed around a, a text that will govern and will guide the thinking of that preaching. So, as one of the the, the strengths in my mind of preaching in a fashion that goes through a, a book of the Bible is that it uh, it brings before us uh, the whole counsel of God, where I might uh, I might gravitate towards certain subjects that are my hobby horses, things that I'm most interested in. and Those may be holy and good, but I may tend to shy away from other passages. For instance, uh, uh, who wants to preach on Saul slaughtering the, the priests of Nob? Uh, that's not something that comes to my mind as as being an inviting passage to to turn to. It's a gruesome passage, but it is part of God's God's word that is there for our uh, for good purpose, for the confrontation of sin, for the comfort of believers, and come to understand God ruling over all of that. So there's some strength in preaching through a book of the Bible in that way. And when I define expository in this way, I I also want to make sure that you understand that that there is a difference between preaching and teaching. And expository can uh, does have something of a ditch, and that and that. Uh, and I see this in, in, in myself, and I, I see this in other uh, other reform pastors. That there's a, a tendency to major on the teaching, and not to the application. And it's in the application, really, where where preaching comes in, where there's uh, where there's explanation, and then pointed. Application of that teaching to us today, in a way that may confront sins, or that may proclaim the the, the, the kingship of Jesus Christ in a way that calls sinners to repent. And that's something that that uh, that I'm conscious of in my preaching. In my preaching, what I'm doing right now is I'm teaching, but uh, later I will preach. And I don't put on a different hat or a different tie as I as I shift gears. Uh, what I find mostly is that is that my uh, my teaching and preaching uh, meets somewhere in the middle often. And I would uh, I would like more to be to to have the sense of of that high calling of preaching that that would you would say oh he's he's definitely preaching now. So I'll tend to preach when I'm teaching, and I'll tend to teach when I'm preaching. <laughs> uh, it's uh, uh, does that make sense? Uh, it may be just the the preacher in me that's that's reflecting on this. But again, I'm opening the hood so you can see some of the things that's going on in in my preparation and my thought process. Any questions about that? So for preaching, I'll go back to that idea of the authoritative proclamation. So expository preaching proclaims the word of God. It, uh, it, it treats it as the message from the king and the pastor as an authoritative representative coming to bring that message from the king to to his people. And... Uh, that's what delineates it from just teaching that has uh, really uh, emphasizes the explanation. So let me go on to uh, the second here: uh, res- uh, redemptive historical preaching. I'll comment that this is a, a technical term that has some history at, and and some bad baggage that's attached to it. I won't go into that. On the positive and on the simple side, though, it means that, uh, that that preaching understands that there is one main message throughout all of Scripture. It's not just contained in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and then the, the letters that follow after that. No, Christ is... And his redemption is the main message of all of scripture. And so it approaches all of uh, of the Bible, Old and New Testament, history and prophecy and poetry and uh, apocalyptic literature, all focusing on, on Jesus Christ. And the term redemptive historical has in mind, especially looking at the fact that, that the Old Testament has uh, has history and redemption that anticipates the coming of Jesus Christ. So you can hear that I would say oftentimes in my preaching where I'm in the Old Testament right now, and I'll take uh, I'll take time to say how this is is part of the grand overarching story of the Bible. Uh, that's a phrase that I've, I've taken to using and, and I, I hope you recognize it. Uh, I'll probably continue to use that through the rest of my ministry to talk about that one main message that Christ has come to save sinners and that that comes throughout all of scripture. And I do so in the context Uh, uh, of preaching especially the Old Testament as a way of anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ. And when I preach from the New Testament of explaining the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, his death, resurrection, and ascension, and then the explanation that comes after that. We might think here about the uh, Sunday school series that I gave, that followed uh, David Murray's book *Jesus on Every Page*, and it worked through all of the different genres of Scripture, and it worked through uh, Old and New Testament to show how uh, Christ is central to all of that. So, just as a as a for instance. Of this, I'll give you an example. That, um, in, I'll give the example of Joseph. Uh, this is one that has been told and told and told again by uh, even secular uh, uh, secular artists. Or there's a there's a play, Joseph and, and his Technicolor Dream Coat. Uh, uh, it's fun musical, great. Uh, I love the music, but the the lesson of that story of Joseph for them is well, dreams come true. And if you are brave enough to dream, then maybe your dreams will come true too. And without Jesus, I guess that's what Joseph's about. <laughs> but that's not what the Biblical account of Joseph is about. The biblical account of of Joseph is about Jesus. It's about God redeeming his people. And a promise that he made to send a Savior, and since he was going to send a Savior, he would have a people, and that Messiah would come from that people. They had to be protected. And Joseph acts like a type of Jesus Christ as he forgives his brother's sins. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Just wonderful, redemptive aspects that point us to Jesus Christ that happened in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, One of the the men that's written a lot on this idea as well is is a man named Clowney, and he says that it is possible to know the Bible stories yet miss the Bible story. The Bible has a storyline. It traces an unfolding drama. The story is God's story. It describes His work to rescue rebels from their folly, guilt, and ruin. Now, there's that grand, overarching story, the story of the Redeem- Redeemer Jesus Christ. So practically speaking, what does that look like? So, uh, so I preach from Old and New Testament, and I preach Jesus from the Old and New Testament, and I preach Jesus from books of history, like First Samuel, and books of prophecy, like Isaiah, and books of pro- poetry, like the Psalms, and I preach from the New Testament, and I, I, I preach kind of across the board. And it uh, does lead to preaching through books of the Bible, wanting to make sure to pay attention to that, that whole counsel of God. And it leads, I pray, to a growing appetite for Christ and a nurturing of you as the people of God to read all of the scripture in this way, looking for Jesus Christ. Uh, the third aspect that I'll give here is, is law and gospel and another Term that has some history, and uh, that I won't go into, but it's a it's an effective term because it, it has in mind, in its good fashion, to think of of justification and how that impacts preaching. So the law often refers to the covenant of works. It has in mind the idea of God's command to be holy, to do this and live. It requires our perfect obedience. And since the fall, we are are condemned by that. We are unable to keep the law, but the law is still there. And the law is still required, and obedience is still required, and that needs to be declared. But the gospel comes in in, uh, in coordination with the law and is often related to the covenant of grace, and it points us to the solution to our fallen nature, to our disobedience, to our sin, and our condemnation. Christ has done what we cannot do, so he kept the whole law for us. He died on the cross for our sins. And where the law says, do this and live, the gospel says, Jesus did it for you, he has given you life, therefore follow after him. So without this distinction, preaching can often turn into a hopeless endeavor where the firestone and brimstone of the law looms over us like this this mountain about to fall on us. That's the language of John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian felt uh, like the the law was this this fiery mountain that was about to to come down on his head, and without the gospel, then then we would leave people without any hope. But without the law, uh, there could be a, a sense of uh, of uncaring nature to the holiness of God, a self righteousness that comes from fooling ourselves that. We are keepers of the law and and okay in God's eyes based on our own obedience. Though in the practical side of things here, there is, is often an indicative that's followed by an imperative. The indicative is, this is the truth of this passage, therefore live this way. This is the uh, the truth that comes out uh, oftentimes I try to phrase it in the in your bulletins and in this sermon outline as the as the idea uh, so for instance today the uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil therefore uh, therefore, be warned of the of the uh, the threat of of loving money as an idol and uh, practice uh, practice repentance and and uh, and thanksgiving. Uh, so as an example, and for uh, for time's sake, I'll I'll just call your attention to First John and the passages that are listed here. Uh, in First John, the purpose that the apostle has is to to uh, To encourage the church uh, and assure them that their sins are forgiven. Uh, and that comes through in, in the well-known passage in, in chapter one uh, where if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need that. That's the gospel that is, is given there. But first John goes on then and it talks about our obedience in ways that are oriented towards towards law keeping that anyone who walks in the light does not sin and if you took that in isolation from the gospel you would you'd be devastated because you do sin and if you read that in isolation you would say well I sin, therefore I must not be a believer. I must not be a child of God. and So God, the, the law and gospel work together there. I do want to pause and give you a chance uh, to ask any questions here before I go on to teaching and training. Okay, let's go on to number two, teaching and training the uh, the belonging of the church is expressed especially in the worship of God and and you I hope see where the reading and preaching comes in there is a place though for teaching and we give ourselves to that that's what i'm doing now and our our sunday schools are oriented in this direction we think excuse me we think about the the normal means of grace and so we uh, uh being oriented towards the word of god and, and so we give lots of opportunities in in formal and informal ways for people to engage with with the word of god and in uh Sinclair Ferguson's book devoted to the church he spends uh, uh most of the chapter interacting with this passage in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 I'm kind of volunteer to read those verses. Thanks, Melody. So just picking out aspects of this for our purpose today, I'll just explain a few of those words. I like the translation that Melody was reading. Which translation was that? ESV. So the ESV literally translates what is sometimes called, uh, all scripture is inspired by God. It's This is a... a Pauline way or of doing things, he mashes together two words, and it's literally God breathed. So very uh, great uh, uh, translation there, and and that's our our understanding is that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. When you hear the word inspiration, you might think of an artist that we might call inspired or an author. It writes something that moves us and we say they're inspired. And that's a, that's an okay way to use that word. But when the Bible talks about inspiration, it's talking about the authorship that God is the author of everything that's written in the scriptures and that it is breathed out. Yes, it was written down by human authors, but they wrote down what the spirit was breathing into them. It's sometimes very clearly described when they write down thus says the Lord and then they write it down. We believe that about all of scripture, that all of it is thus says the Lord and they have written down exactly what God wants to be written down. It's profitable for doctrine or teaching. It is uh, it penetrates a mind that is darkened, a heart that is hardened. Those are the ways God's word describes the human condition without Christ. Our eyes, our understanding are darkened. We can't see God. We we can't even grope after him and find him in the dark. And our hearts are hardened. They are dead. And it is the light of God's word that shines in that helps us to know him. God's word is also profitable for reproof. The word penetrates and confronts our errors. It comes and and corrects uh, what is what is in in our minds that is wrong. In fact, the, the next is is that it is profitable for correction and there's uh reproof has the idea of of tearing down what is broken and what is decayed and and what is deadly and correction then has the idea of building back up God's word does that it tears down what is what is corrupted in our hearts and our minds it breaks through the uh, the darkness and then builds back up here's another Uh, interesting Greek word that is being used here. It's used outside of scripture in the context of setting a broken bone. And that's what God's word does for us. It sets what is broken in its right and proper place so that it it can straighten and reshape and uh, grant life uh, to our bodies and, and our minds. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. So not only does the word uh, uh, act something as a hospital to heal us, but Ferguson also, also says it's a gymnasium in which we are strengthened and equipped for service. So there's a hospital side and there's a gymnasium side. So think again practically about our... Uh, our desire in our congregation and, and how we try to express this to be growing in grace we have uh, we have Sunday school for all ages and it starts with uh, with helping them helping our children know the bible and to know it from this perspective that they would see Christ in it's in all of the bible we go on then with our children on to to help them then categorize the the knowledge and the story of the Bible in a doc, in a doctrinal way we have in a sense a many systematic theology that we that we, that we use in our catechisms and then on into application in all areas of our life that's what we do for our children we do that for uh, for the adults as well we've tried to design our Sunday school classes so that they're there are times where we delve more deeply into a book of the Bible, like Alan is doing right now. And then there are times where we take doctrinal aspects and try to, try to shape and categorize things so that we would be oriented towards that word of God. We also have time to discuss the sermon in the afternoon service. Sometimes we do it over lunch. Uh, we do it in the home And in the home, we encourage, uh, encourage personal Bible reading and meditation, encourage families to be participating in, in family worship, helping their children in an age appropriate way to hear God's words to, for when they're little, taking a little passage and, and reading it together and praying so that they get this, this pattern of longing to eat from God's hand and to to learn from God's God's word. So those are some ways that we together have emphasized the centrality of God's word and it does have that personal ap- application that is is so important for you in teaching and in training and growth. But uh, I hope you see that that together nature And by way of teaching and training, I've copied for you several bullet points from Sinclair Ferguson where he suggests a very simple way to study the Bible. Uh, And it has, has in mind asking uh, five, uh, excuse me, four simple questions based on the Bible is profitable for teaching. So, so what is this passage teaching? In a few words, summarize what it's teaching. It's profitable, profitable for rebuking. Does this passage expose in me some sin that, that I have? It's profitable for correction. What is it showing positively that needs to be built up in me? How may I be living for Christ? It's profitable for training in righteousness. What is the, what is the preparation that is at work here in this passage? So leave that in your hand. If you've never uh, thought about a pattern for your own uh, Bible reading and a a simple way to study God's Word, I'll give you this to you as one simple tool to help you grow in grace oriented around God's Word. Well, I'll stop there today and ask if there are any closing questions. I'll be putting on another hat here and uh, moving to uh, preaching as we get ready for worship in just a few moments. Let's close in prayer. Well, Lord God, we do thank you for how your word has been given to us and it pierces our hearts and enlightens our eyes and our minds. And I pray, O oh God, that that you would be doing that through this teaching today and through the reading of your word that we do individually. And I pray, O oh God, that you would prepare us to hear that proclamation of your word in the preaching that takes place in our worship. Thank you, God, for the privilege of of coming into your holy presence. And we look forward to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.